0: All right, would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, this is your time. We hold it loosely because it's time for you to speak, for us to listen, for our hearts to be changed. And if we hold it too tight, we might try to make it what we think it should be or what we even hope or dream that it might be. And instead, we just want to hear from you in the simplicity of your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, for my own heart and for all of our hearts here today, would you give us that freedom that we long for to just hear a clear word from you as you desire it. May we be receptive to it. And may our hearts even now be moving toward the change that you desire for us as we talk about Sabbath and as we talk about prayer. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Sabbath and prayer if you look at any sort of holistic study of the spiritual lives of Americans, are two things that people almost universally say they're just not that good at. We're just not that good at resting, at really unplugging, at taking a break, and we're not good at praying for ourselves or praying for others. That's what most surveys of the spiritual lives of Americans would say. Now, there's always folks that are really, really good at that, right? Like for many of us, if you grew up around a church or if you grew up in a spiritual community, there were those wonderful prayer warriors, right? There were these sweet people, in my experience they've typically been women, who've had these amazing gifts of being able to pray and being able to be encouragers through that. Uh, We may not have as many good experiences with Sabbath because Sabbath is just something that you either do or you don't. You take a break from your labors or you don't. And we live in an increasingly hyper-connected culture that to break away from that is really, really difficult. And for us, there's a lot of fear about the costliness of breaking away from our email, breaking away from these businesses we're trying to get started, breaking away from this job, that we are just so glad to have a job. Why would we ever wanna try to disconnect from that job? But it's a reality. And human beings, as we'll discover in our scriptures today, we're not designed for this pace of relentless go, 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 even though we like to. There's that joke that uh, a shark dies if it stops swimming. Well, that's true for sharks. We're people. We need to take breaks. We need to be able to back off. And the scriptures give us insight into how to do that well. And the scriptures give us insight into how to pray in such a way that we aren't just looking to God to be sort of our cosmic ATM, that we are recognizing that when we ask God to do something, especially on behalf of other people, there's more than just the thing that we want him to do. There's the, the change that he wants to engineer in our hearts. And he does that through prayer. And I want to mention this at the beginning. If you're coming at this and you're going like, Sabbath, prayer, these are things that just sound like another universe to me. That's okay. All throughout our sermon series called Sustainable Faith, we're talking about these ancient, tried-and-true disciplines, these things that people of faith have practiced for a long time. And sometimes, those of us who would say we are people of faith or that we're, we want to grow in these ways, we're just trying it. We're just trying to figure it out. We don't have the market cornered on what it means to practice Sabbath or to pray. So if you are kind of coming at this from a greater distance, maybe, or you're not sure how you feel about Jesus this morning, you, the, the ground is level. We are all learning about this together. So a couple of recommended resources before we dive in. There are some amazing books out there about spiritual disciplines, about sustainable faith. Dallas Willard has a great book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. John Orberg's The Life You've Always Wanted. Richard Foster's uh, Celebration of Discipline. All of those are really, really great. Uh, We'll have links up to those on the Facebook page this week if you'd like to use those as resources. And they all have great things to say about Sabbath and prayer. So I offer those as a resource as we begin if you want to continue in these studies. I want to give us an idea of where we're going, and this is outlined in your bulletin in front of you. So if you want to turn and take some notes, you can. We're going to talk about Sabbath. What's the purpose of Sabbath? How do we practice it? We're going to talk about how it's connected to prayer, and then we're going to talk about the purpose of prayer and the practice of prayer. And prayer specifically today, we're talking about prayer for other people, intercessory prayer, prayer for others, however you want to term it. And so our thesis, kind of the thing that maybe connects these things to do together for us, is that we rest and we pray because we're free to trust God. We rest and we pray because we are free. We are free to trust God. So let's begin with Sabbath. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus 20 with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's a stack of them on the back table near where you walked in. Please take one. Exodus chapter 20. The context for this is the people of Israel, God's people, who he called together from creation, called together through Abraham, they have now been set free. They are done being slaves in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They are in a totally new chapter in life. And they're facing the question that every one of us faces continually as an adult, what do I do with my freedom? What do I do with the freedom that's been extended to me? In their case, literal freedom from slavery. But we've all been to these places where we go, wow, I've got my first job. Or wow, I'm living on my own. Or wow, I'm I'm a newlywed, or I've got a new baby. What do I do with the freedom that God has given to me in this moment? And Exodus 20 gives us some insight into how God is trying to help the people step into this freedom in ways that are good, that are good for them and good in their relationship with God. So I'll read Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. I invite you to follow along with me. God says this, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. The Hebrew word in there for Sabbath is Shabbat. And it literally just means to cease, to take a break, to let stuff go. And you hear it said here in, verses, in verse 9 and 10, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. It is a break and it belongs to God. And so you should not do any work. And then it goes on to list all these other people that you'd be connected to who'd be looking to you potentially as an example of how should I rest? How should I take a break from my labors? The people of Israel needed to hear these words because they were at a critical point in their journey. They were setting off into the wilderness. They were going to have 40 years to try to figure out what their life together should look like, and they were going to have many more years together in the promised land living into these values, these laws that God spoke over them. Sabbath became a way for the people of God to remember something really, really, really important that God did long ago. And that's the fact that God rested. In Genesis 1 through 3, we see that God made the heavens and the earth. He did this incredible cosmic thing. It's powerful. It's amazing. And then at the end of that, he doesn't throw a huge party. He doesn't just keep working. He doesn't just keep his nose to the grindstone and go create more stuff. He takes a break. God rested at the end of his creation efforts. And it's amazing because God didn't have to do that. God is infinite. He is infinitely powerful. It's not like he was worn out or his fingers were getting numb or anything like that. He chose to take a break so we could see how important it is to take a break. That decision was not for him. It was for us. And I'm reminded of that as a parent when I try to practice Sabbath with my kids. Sometimes, well, parenting, you can't really take a Sabbath from. Let's just all say, oh my gosh, amen to that but I have to remind myself that <clears throat> the attempts that I make to show my children how to rest aren't just for me. They're for them. They're for them to see a way of life that says, you know, mom and dad actually do try to take a break together. And it means that we say no to stuff. It means that there are certain, for us, Fridays, there's a day of the week where we just try to be calm and not running around and doing a bunch of things. And that is really hard to do. I recognize that there are a lot of parents in this room right now who would love to have that, but soccer demands otherwise of you, or your job demands otherwise of you, and I'll give some input into how we can all start to take steps toward that, so that Sabbath becomes a reality more and more so for all of us. The purpose of Sabbath is to reflect God's desires for humankind. That's the answer to the question. What's the purpose of it? Reflect God's desires for humankind. Show that we need a break. We're like a rubber band. We can get stretched and stretched, but we've got to be able to come back and rest. Otherwise, we break. We still need to complete our rest to be able to have a full break, to lay down the tools of our trade, and that involves us choosing to do so. So, what does the practice of that look like? If we're going to get practical about how to live into this rhythm, this purpose, how do we do that? I think the first thing we have to do, and we'll do this again with prayer as well, is to talk about what gets in the way of that. What stands in the way of us being able to live into this rhythm? And a lot of it comes back to control. A lot of it comes back to control. If I believe that the way that I should try to make stuff happen, the way that I should be moving things forward for me here at church, or if you're in Marketplace, if you're in your business, or for your children, if you are not constantly churning on that and thinking about that, then you're letting other people down. There's a real sense of responsibility that comes with that, and there's a weight to that. We feel that. Or if we are so hyper-connected on our email, we're going to be able to reply to people at four in the morning. It doesn't matter. We just need to be able to get the thing done. There is a weight to that as well, and Sabbath is where we take all the weights that we feel and we say, Jesus, you have to be able to take this. You have to be able to take this burden off of my shoulders because I'm not a shark. A shark has to swim in order to stay alive, and I'm not a shark. And I can't keep swimming this way. I know I'm not ultimately in control. Sabbath is a way for us to, instead of white-knuckling whatever it is that we're about, parenting, our jobs, it's a way for us to just unclench and turn away from this control that can be so addictive and yet so destructive. So... Jesus gave his followers freedom to figure out what Sabbath needs to look like for them. One of the great arguments that he has in Matthew chapter 12 is with the religious leaders who say, hey, your disciples broke this law, they grabbed some grain to eat on the Sabbath day, and Jesus basically says to them, like, are you kidding? I'm the son of God. Like, <laughs> it's not about what they did or when they did it, it's about, did they come to me? Are they with me? And that's the freedom that we have. And so if we take that freedom, I think in a way that is good and God-honoring, we can say... What does Sabbath need to look like so that it works for me? What does Sabbath need to look like that it actually fits into my life? And this is where we can take a page from last week's sermon. We talked about Bible reading last week, how that can be such a challenge for so many of us. One of the very practical pieces of advice, input, whatever you want to say about it, that we talked about last week of Bible reading is just start small. Start small. Apply that to Sabbath. If you're not someone that regularly practices setting aside a day, where you don't work, you leave your phone, you don't check email, anything like that, just start small. Maybe Sunday mornings can increasingly become a Sabbath for you, where you're just like, yeah, I left my phone at home. Oh, well, I don't need it. Maybe you just, you got to go smaller than that. Maybe you just go 30 minutes. That's your Sabbath time, where you are resting, where you are with God, where you're disengaging from things that you constantly engage with. Mark Labberton, the president of Fuller Seminary, says that Sabbath is when we lay down the tools of our trade. What are the tools of your trade? If you're a physician, the tools of your trade are increasingly very complicated computer programs and diagnostic devices, and it used to just be a stethoscope and a black bag, right? What does it take to lay down the tools of your trade if you're a physician? What does it take to lay down the tools of your trade if you're a parent? If you are the primary person caring for your children at home? That's a little bit of a different question, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But what we do when we practice Sabbath is we find ways to engage it that makes sense to us, make sense to the people around us. And so for me, my family, that's Fridays. Fridays, I don't check email. If you want to get a hold of me on Fridays, you're going to have to call me. I lay down the tools of my trade. I don't pick up my laptop. I try to stay away from screens. One of the things that's really bringing me joy right now on Fridays is that I walk my kids to school and my son and I walk home from school together and we take a longer route. We don't go the most direct way home, the most you know, exact point A to point B. We take a little bit longer route. And what we say to each other when we make that decision is we go, it's Friday, we got time. So turn to your neighbor and say, We got time. Go ahead. We got time. We got time to do this. There's joy in being able to say that, right? Look at that. All of you are smiling. This is so great. We got time. It's okay. It's Friday. In your family, maybe it's Monday. Hey, it's Monday. We got time. We can take the longer way. It's all good. We can get a latte. We can do the things that will bring joy that we otherwise might say, ah, yeah, you know, we just need to get home. We gotta get on to the next thing. No, we got time. We got time. Those are the things that I love to lean into on the Sabbath. And everybody, I think, has the freedom to say, Actually, I want to try to do this on the Sabbath, or I really love to go hiking on the Sabbath, or I really want to try this, I want to try that. What is a joyful thing that you can engage? And could you invite other people into that? Could you invite your small group into it? Could you invite others to say, like, hey, I just want to try this thing? I want to try resting. Can we do this together? It's a great way to build community, to build fellowship. So that's Sabbath. That's the purpose, that's the practice of it. We've got to find what works for us. We need to be able to say, we got time, we can do it. It's the Sabbath. But how does this connect to prayer? It has to do with the theme of engagement. Sabbath is disengagement at a level. It's saying, like, I need to lay down the tools of my trade. I don't need to do this anymore. Just for today, I can take a break. What's hard about that is reengagement. And there's two forms of this that I think we can all relate to. If you go away on a trip, and you've chosen to disengage, right? You've turned your phone off. You've done whatever. And you come back into real life, right? Like, you come in, you get off the plane, you turn your phone on and all of a sudden, boom, emails, text messages, all the stuff that you missed, Facebook notifications. You know what we do when we look at that? That flood of stuff coming at us? First of all, all the dopamine in our brain is just going crazy, like, oh, wow, this is cool, stimulus. It feels really good to feel that important. But the flip side of that is when we come back from a trip where we've chosen to disengage, and there's nothing. There's like two junk emails and not a single text message. And that feels like, oh, the world did pretty good without me. Oh, I don't like that feeling as much. We both encounter those realities when we disengage. And so how do we re-engage well? Or as parents, if you've got little kids at home, it is not an option for you to disengage when baby's screaming at you. Like, that's just not going to work. So what does it look like to practice Sabbath, to try to engage as a parent? I think it means engaging really well in a posture of prayer. Prayer can be our way to find rest as parents, even in the midst of trying to run around with our kids and manage all kinds of craziness. So what I want to suggest is that prayer is our vehicle for re-engagement that won't crush us. It won't create this idol that we're too important, and it won't create another idol where we feel just so left out if nobody was trying to get a hold of us. Sabbath is when we rest from our labors of trying to get stuff done and instead rely upon God's power and provision through prayer. We rest, we pray, because we're free to trust God. So let's talk about the purpose and the practice of prayer. Prayer is deep engagement with God so that I can learn how to see the world through God's eyes. It's not asking God for stuff, that's important, but the more important thing is how God seeks to transform us. It's how he seeks to rewire, reorder our loves so that when we ask him for things, it's not just a transactional experience. It's something where we hold out to him hey God, I would love to have some help with this, or this person's really struggling, and we are increasingly aware of when God says, yep, and I've got a work that I'm going to do in you too. As you ask for this for your friend, as you pray for this for your family, I've got something that I want to be doing in you, and I want you to be aware of it. Dallas Willard once said that prayer is simply talking with God about what we are doing together. Talking with God about what we are doing together. I love that because it implies that mutuality, like, yeah, we're in this, like, God is with me as I pray. And a great example of this from our scriptures is when Jesus is praying in the garden on the night that he was betrayed. It's a really emotional, painful story to read. And what happens is, is, Jesus goes into this moment, because he's God, he knows what's coming. But because he's human, he feels the fear and the weight and the pain and the anxiety of it. And he spends these hours and hours and hours in prayer, and the scripture tells us he just keeps praying, and he's so feeling the weight of this. He prays for relief, he prays for a different way forward. And over time, he's able to say to God, This incredible, courageous, and terrifying prayer, not my will, but your will be done. And can you imagine what that felt like? I mean, there's probably a little bit of relief in that moment. But if you say that, not my will, but your will be done, and if you're Jesus and you know what's coming, that you're going to get beat up, that you're going to get spit on, that you're going to have a show trial, and you're going to be crucified, not my will, but yours be done, is a prayer of someone whose heart has been transformed. A prayer of someone whose heart is that much more in line with what God desires. I don't think Jesus was ever out of line with what God desired for him. What I think happened was, is he demonstrated again for us that even this awful thing that he knew was coming, he could show up to it through prayer. That that's how God wanted to prepare his hearts. When we pray for others, which Jesus was kind of doing in that moment, because he was praying for the ability to get through that, to show up for the moment that would eventually bless and serve all people. When we show up and pray for others, we get a little closer to seeing things from God's perspective. We get a little bit closer to getting away from just the thing that we want and instead experiencing the transformation that God desires. And yes, praying for others changes things. It absolutely changes things. I definitely believe that if you pray for someone to be healed, you can see that happen if God desires that. But prayer at its core is not about seeing something happen, but being better tuned in to God's voice. Do you remember before there was caller ID when you had to pick up this really ancient thing called a landline? And over time, if you called someone often enough, when you picked up the phone, you said hello, and you heard their voice, you, you could start to recognize their voice. Like you, you'd start to figure out like, oh, it's my grandmother calling me, or it's my mom, or whoever. Prayer is like that. Prayer is where we increasingly learn to hear the voice of God in the midst of all the other voices, even our own. And we can hear and respond that much better. So that's the purpose of prayer. It's for transformation. It's for changing our world. It's for changing us. But how do we go about doing this well? The scripture that Maddie Maddie read for us, the Apostle Paul's encouragement was to pray without ceasing. The Greek word behind without ceasing is about repetition. It's about making a habit. The way I would interpret that is pray so that it's weird when we don't pray. It's weird when prayer isn't our first response to something that catches us off guard or that we really find vexing. Pray in such a way that it just becomes normative. But I think there's an implication in that statement from Paul. Pray without ceasing. It implies that something's going to happen that's going to make us want to cease praying. It implies that there's something coming where you're going to go like, I I don't want to do this. I don't want to pray right now. And I think there are two things that we can talk about briefly that all of us face when we think about prayer. The first thing we can talk about is fear, and the second thing we can talk about is disappointment. The primary kind of fear I think we face when we think about prayer is, am I getting this right? Like, am I praying in the right way? Am I saying the right words? Am I in the right position? We sort of go through these ideas of like, well, there must be the proper way to do this, right? Whenever I do uh, weddings, you know, folks are always like, well, you know, there's the right way to do the wedding, right? I'm like, well, yes, like when we talk about Jesus, that's the right way to do a wedding, but like... Folks expect there to be some kind of script, some kind of narrative that is just always there, right? Prayer, I think, carries the assumption of that as well. But Jesus has something to say to that. Uh, How many of you have this, the Jesus Storybook Bible? If you don't have it, let's make a run on it. Let's push Amazon's profits up by buying this today because it is an amazing book. It's a paraphrase of the scriptures written for children, but it's not just for children. Like, it always touches me when I read from it. So listen, this is from Matthew chapter 6, Jesus giving instructions on how to pray. Jesus said to the children, when you pray, don't pray like those extra super holy people. They think that if they say lots of words, God will hear them. But it's not because you're so clever or so good or so important that God will listen to you. God listens to you because he loves you. Do you hear that, friends? God listens to you because he loves you. Did you know that God is always listening to you? Did you know that God can hear the quietest whisper deep inside your heart even before you've started to say it? Because God knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. You see, God just can't wait to give you all that you need. So you don't need to use long words or special words. You don't have to use a special voice. You just have to talk. And so when you pray, pray in your normal voice, just like when you're talking to someone that you love very much, just like when you're talking to somebody that you love. What a great way to sort of enter into this mystery of prayer. Just talk like you're talking to somebody you love. That frees us from the fear of praying rightly. Did I get it right? Doesn't matter. Because you're praying, you're talking with someone you love. Like Dallas Willard said, we are having a conversation with God about what we are doing together. We think we need to clean ourselves up. We think we need to sit in the right place or go to the right room or make sure that all this other stuff is orchestrated, the kitchen's clean. That's what's got to happen before we pray, right? No. Just talk. Just talk to the God who loves you. Don't create these burdens and these barriers. Just lean into it. And we can join others in their joy. When we pray for others, when I go visit a family in the hospital when they've just had a baby, it is one of the most amazing privileges I have as a pastor because I'm praying for God to multiply their joy. And there's already joy like flowing out of that room, right? Like There's already just a mountain of joy in there. But when I can come beside someone and pray for them in the moment of joy like that, that's powerful. When we can come beside people, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, and we know they're suffering, when we pray for them, it's not just that we want God to do something in their lives, it's that our hearts are being changed so that we're more sensitive to someone else's pain. So that we're more aware when someone in our midst is really going through something hard. And we can come beside them because we've prayed for this friend. This friend's suffering is that much clearer to us. We're much less likely to miss it. But then we face disappointment in prayer. We face serious disappointment in prayer. And this is a real thing. For some of us, the idea of praying for others, we gave up on it. And maybe for good reason. We've prayed for healing and someone we loved, they weren't healed. It didn't happen. We prayed for work and we're still looking for work. We prayed like the prodigal son that one of our children would come back home and we're still waiting we prayed and nothing happened and it is fair and reasonable and appropriate to ask the god of the universe why why god why did this happen why didn't this happen cs lewis is one of the great writers and professors of the 20th century and he loved to pray but if you know anything about his story you know he had every reason to not want to pray He wrote all about prayer, letters to Malcolm chiefly on prayer. Prayer comes up in the screw tape letters. It's in mere Christianity. But he had two key relationships in his life where prayer could have gone out the window. When he was a boy, his mother, Flora, got sick. And he remembers, he writes about this in his journals, praying, praying, praying for his mother to get well, and she passed. And it was just a transformative event in his life, as it would be for anybody, and then later on in life, more people know this story about Lewis. His wife, Joy, who he married later in life, she got sick, and she passed away. And these were two of the most important relationships in his life, two women that he cared deeply for, that he prayed and prayed and prayed for God to bring healing, and it didn't happen. And so if anyone had reason to say, like, I do not this is baloney, this does not work, it could have been C.S. Lewis, but he didn't. But what I want to point out is that he felt the weight of those moments when he prayed and he didn't ignore it. And maybe that's an encouragement for any of us who have prayed and prayed and prayed for someone and it didn't happen. The thing that we wanted didn't come together and we're still going, why? We may not get an answer to the why, but we may get a window into our own hearts that's better, that shows us where we need to change. After Lewis's wife Joy passed away, he wrote this in his journal. And I'll warn us, these are very hard words to read. Lewis wrote this, "'What chokes every prayer and every hope "'is the memory of all the prayers Joy and I offered "'and all the false hopes that we had for her healing. "'Step by step, it felt like we were led up "'the garden path toward a miracle, "'and time after time, when God seemed most gracious, "'he was really preparing us "'for the next round of suffering.'" After he wrote that, Lewis reflected that he was really mad at God because his wife had died and he was disappointed. And these words that he wrote, he later reflected on them and said, that was my grief, that was my pain, and that was real. And he realized he was missing something. He realized he was missing a deep level of trust in the God that he knew cared for him and provided him with a mother and provided him with a wife and an incredible life. And he realized that his prayers had become very self-centered. Even though he got mad at God and he questioned God's care for him and for his wife, as his biographer Alan Jacobs writes, that questioning of God yielded to a deeper self-questioning and a significant growth in self-knowledge. Just because we have prayed for someone and God has not answered the prayer just like we thought he should or that he hoped he would, doesn't mean he's done with us. And it does not mean that he has done teaching and transforming us. And C.S. Lewis, even at the end of his life, after he lost his beloved wife, he went, I still got more to learn. There's still more to this majestic, wonderful God that I need to lean into. And what kind of courage does it take to do that? What kind of strength of character does it take to say, I didn't get the thing that I wanted, but I will praise the God who has led me thus far. That's the message of Job. That's the message of so many of the faithful people that we see in our scriptures. I didn't get what I wanted, but I'm still going to trust the God who has brought me thus far. Can we agree? Can we step into that? As many people reflect on their spiritual journey, as they name the places where God grew them the most, this was uh, through a survey that a big church in Chicago did. It wasn't the places of greatest joy that provided them with the greatest growth in their spiritual life. It was the places of great suffering. And I think C.S. Lewis understood that. And that is my encouragement for us as we think about those prayers that were not met, the people that we felt like passed away and shouldn't have. God is not done with that season. And God is not done speaking to your heart and to my heart about how prayer can continue to transform us. When we pray for others, even when we pray for their healing, even when we are fervent in praying for it, it can be an opportunity for us to deepen our trust in the gospel. And maybe that's the primary thing that God wants to do. That's hard. I recognize that there's a ton of pain in that. I'm not trying to diminish anyone's pain around these types of prayers. But I also hope that we're encouraged not to give up. Not to give up hope and not to abandon this idea that prayer does change the world and it changes us. Because it's how we better get in line with what God is doing in our lives. So, as we wrap up, here's a quick review of what we've learned. Here's some very practical things to finish with. Sabbath is resting from my work so God can do more of his work. Rest from my work so that God can do more of his work. Very practically, just start small as you practice Sabbath. If it's a few hours, if it's a half day, pick a day that works for you. Find things to do in your Sabbath that create joy. When we talk about prayer prayer, Pray like you're talking with God about what he is doing in your life, what you are doing together. Like Bible reading and Sabbath, start small. Most of the people I know who are pretty good at intercessory prayer, praying for others, keep a prayer journal, like a place where you write down somebody's name. Like, hey, my coworker's mom is sick. I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to pray for her mom. What's your mom's name? I'd love to be praying for her. Write stuff down, and this is such a joy. When God answers that prayer, you can kind of cross that off your list. You can celebrate that God has brought someone a job or that God's brought healing or God's brought a new baby or any of these wonderful things. And like Jesus did in the garden, we pray with open hands. We say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And that is what brings us the freedom to pray and to enjoy Sabbath. And I'd like to invite all of us to pray together. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, in these moments, we have heard from your word. We've heard that you are good to us, even when we can't see it. And so now we ask that your goodness would continue by giving us the space and the freedom to reflect on what's been said. And may anything that has been said from my mouth, anything that's come into our hearts that's not of you be quickly forgotten. Everything that is of you, would you protect that? Would you invigorate us so that we can really hear and really respond in the deepest part of our being? God, I know several of us have prayed and prayed for someone, and that prayer was not answered. And we know you hold us in the midst of that pain and those still unanswered questions. I pray that increasingly for those friends who have seen, that pain firsthand, that your light would break forth like the dawn and that you would bring your healing. God, we trust you for these things that we cannot procure for ourselves. Would you lead us now as we continue in worship with hearts that are ready to praise you? We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.